joy, peace, tranquility, vibrancy, and wellness. Isn't this what you want instead of constant stress? That's what host Rochelle Lawson is going to help you with on Blissful Living. There are many ways to reduce stress, some you may not even know about. Doesn't a little peace and tranquility sound like just what you've been looking for? Relax for a few minutes with Rochelle. She's the queen of feeling fabulous. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blissful Living. This is the queen of feeling fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson. And I am happy to be here with you to share this wonderful show with you. Guest is absolutely amazing. And before we get into me revealing who the guest is, um, I just want to take time to thank a couple of our sponsors of the show. First one I want to thank is All Day Cable Incorporated. They are a telecommunications company located in the Silicon Valley, and what they do is network distribution. So if you have needs for any voice, data, fiber optic, or wireless systems to be installed in your place of business, or if you have needs for audio or speaker systems or anything like that, um, they're definitely the company you want to use if you're in their area, their service area, which is California. Um, definitely the company you want to use. They've been in business for 30 years, and their motto is they make the right connections the first time so that when you go to connect with your customer, everything is absolutely operational, and you can make that sale and get that job done. So if you're in need of a great network distribution company, please check out All Day Cable, Inc. The next sponsor I would like to thank is Blissful Living for You. They are a a holistic company focused on building wellness, wisdom, and wealth. And their principles that they use are all holistic-based. So if you are looking to improve your health and well-being, whether you want to lose weight or you're having digestive issues or you're suffering from fatigue or stress and any of the silent killers of stress, then you want to check them out. If you are stuck with where you are with regards to your mindset, you cannot move forward, you are stuck in the realm of trying to be successful and things aren't happening, you are fearful, or you just have challenges within the arena of getting your mindset right, they use, again, holistic principles to help you move through that so that you can get to where you want to be and where you want to go. And if you're just looking to uh, build the money you make and keep it in your pocket, then they have holistic principles behind that, which will help you to do that and not only to build and sustain, but attract and maintain. So if you're in need of some really, really good therapeutic holistic principles to be incorporated into your wellness, wisdom, and wealth, then I suggest you check out BlissfulLivingForYou.com. So I want to share with you who our guest is for today. Our guest is Dr. Carla Marie Manley, 
She is a practicing clinical psychologist based in Sonoma County, which is in Northern California. And she is a recognized authority on fear and fear-based disorders such as trauma, anxiety, and depression. She works with individuals and groups to improve personal growth, relationship connection, and increased life fulfillment. Her highly personalized approach focuses on utilizing transformational fear in the self-growth and healing process. And she combines clinical knowledge with a holistic body, mind, spirit approach, integrating yoga and meditation practices into her therapeutic work and course offerings. And she has a new book out that um, is called Joy from Fear, Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. And so I have lots of questions for Dr. Manley, and I'm sure you will too as you listen. And, of course, you know the show is always about our guests giving you lots of nuggets of gold so that when you finish listening to the show, you can incorporate them into your life immediately. And so I want to take this time to welcome Dr. Carla Marie Manley to Blissful Living. Welcome, Dr. Manley. How are you? I am wonderful. Thanks for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, well, we love having you. We love having guests that can help us transcend uh, some of the challenges that we face when we're walking down our path to bliss. And so I love the title of your book that actually was released on April 1st called Joy from Fear, Creating Create the Life of Your Dreams by Making Fear Your Friend. First of all, I want to ask you, why did you decide to write a book like this? Good question. A few reasons. One is that I love to write, and I've loved to write since I was very young. And so as I worked on my doctorate for my to become a clinical psychologist, you do a dissertation, and I did a qualitative and quantitative analysis of fear because I wanted to understand what had held me back in life. And I had come to realize that it was fear. And I was surprised because I consider myself a pretty fearless person. But when I really got down to the roots of why I had been stuck in a non-blissful life, so to speak, um, I realized <laughs> it was fear. So I developed a qualitative and a quantitative questionnaire, and that's what I based my research project on. And then I wrote my dissertation, and as people read my dissertation, they said, wow, you really have something here. Yes, it's very academic, but if you could distill this and make it available for the public, wow, that would be awesome. And so I gave it a go, but it was still very academic. And then I just decided, oh, put all of that aside, just write from your heart. And so I wrote from my heart. Um, it has the foundation of my research, but really wrote from my heart, not only from my own life experiences, but from client experiences, and tried to distill it into something that was really digestible and meaningful, 
and a little bit different. A lot of self-help books just offer really wonderful insights and lots of beauty. And I thought I'm going to take it one step further and I want to make it so that somebody who can't afford therapy. So this is the other reason I wrote the book. A lot of people can't afford therapy. They can't afford right. to pay a couple of hundred dollars per session or can't find a good therapist who takes their insurance. And so one of the things I do is I run a low-cost women's support group, but it doesn't can't hold many members, right? And so I thought, if I can make my practice really into a book form so that somebody who's either seeing a therapist or working with a group of their own or really is as self-aware and wants to do it step-by-step, step, they could pick up my book and change their lives. So there wow, you go. I like I like it. I mean, I really I really like the fact that you thought about those people that may not be able to afford therapy sessions. I mean, or, you know, they have an insurance that doesn't cover it or the therapist that they like doesn't take their insurance. And so there's so many people out there that I think need services such as what you have to offer and, you know, your gift of sharing, but a lot of people can't afford it. And so to be able to have something that they can go to that can help them on their journey until maybe they can't afford it or, you know, things fall in the line, so to speak, with their insurance and stuff, I think is great. I mean, it's just, it's just mental health is just um, one of the phenomenal things that I think a lot of people don't pay attention to until someone in their life is affected by it. And so um, I, I thank you for, like, just having the vision to think beyond outside the box and create something that is available to basically everybody. That's that's really cool. I want to ask you, because as a healthcare professional myself, I'm always curious as to why people chose, you know, certain arenas. Um, when it comes to healthcare, like my background is emergency room trauma medicine, and people would ask me, you know, why did you choose that, and or mm. you know, how did you stay in it for so long? And my thought was, well, when I got out of nursing school, that was what, that's where I could get a job. <laughs> you know, it wasn't my choice to work there; it was just where I could get a job. I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse, but um, once I got into it. I loved it because I had, it was so much variety, and I still got to deliver babies. Um, and so in, when I say me deliver babies, I literally was in the backseat of many a car that pulled up in the middle of the night, you know, and, and because I was the only female RN on my shift. Ah. Guys would always, yeah, the guys would always say, oh, you're the littlest one or you're the lady. Get in that car and be ready to catch. And so, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, it's just kind of funny. But I ended up loving it. Never thought I would ever be an emergency room trauma nurse. And, and then it got to the point where I wanted the most, you know, the, the most trauma victims that came in or patients that came in, the, you know, the highly traumatic ones, um, because I knew I was good at it and it became second nature. But for you, how did you choose, you know, becoming a psychologist? Because, I mean, you must have been really intrigued with the mind and the way people think and react and behave up, up, up in our brains. I can say that at this stage in my life, that's why. <laughs> I do what I do. I am extremely <laughs> intrigued 
by people's minds and by watching um, d- interpersonal dynamics. And so that is very intriguing. But where now, I, you know, I have the mindset, right? But when I was young, I had this, I don't know what gave me the epiphany. Third grade teacher asked me, you know, was asking the whole class, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a psychologist. And I remember thinking that that was what Lucy did in Charlie Brown and that she dispensed (laughs) advice. Now, I think that that was something in me. I came from a very chaotic household. There were, you know, 10 kids, two parents, lots of turmoil. It was not a very smooth household, right? Mm -hmm, And lots mm -hmm. was going on. And um, so I think that some very young part of me knew way back then that I wanted to figure out how I could help families be happy, how I could help people be happy, because there were a lot of people in my family who weren't happy. And so I think that I came probably from that place. And then I'm not a very money motivated person, but I know what does motivate me. And I became more and more aware of that throughout life and really motivated by helping people. And to me, creating, destigmatizing mental health issues helping people mm-hmm. find a safe place to share, whether that's one-on-one or, like I said, in this beautiful women's support group that, um, you know, I think we could have those across the nation and they would be incredible. And I've even right. had men reach out to me and say, could you run a support group, men, so, women supporting men? <laughs> we do that anyways, <laughs> right? We support them anyways. <laughs> right. So I think it's something that, that – came to me before I knew what it was, to be honest. And I did it didn't have a very linear path. I went through, you know, a couple iterations of who I was before I came right. finally back to my love of, of clinical psychology. And I really count myself blessed. Well, you know, it's really cool. Um because when I think back it was for me to be a nurse. Um I wanted to be that when I was a very little girl. Um mm-hmm. I've always been a a caretaker type of person, right, taking care of everybody's business issues, whatever. (laughs) And so it just kind of fit. But as I grew up, you know, as you grow up, you get kind of, oh, you're really good at this, so you should do that. Are you really good at that, so you should do that. And I did take a couple different paths, but eventually it led me back to the path of um, becoming a registered nurse and irate nurse practitioner. So I think sometimes, you know, it's just all part of our journey. And we say things when we're little, you know, because when you're little, you're uninhibited by the world, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then when, it, you know, when you grow up later, like how you're like, oh, I want to be a psychologist because you're thinking of Lucy on Charlie Brown, which, you know, <laughs> and never, never thought, you know, I wanted to be a psychologist because, I'm in this chaotic family, and we need some help, right? Like me, I'm in this family that we have a whole bunch of medical issues, and we need help, or people need taken care of. And so it's just kind of cool how you come full circle, and you realize, you know what, I'm actually doing what what I was meant to do. Even at the age of four, I knew it, but, you know, um, it's kind of cool. I want to ask you, because... You know, fear is a big thing. And in our world today, it is so, I don't want to say prevalent. That's not the right word I'm looking for. But, you know, everything is fear-based, right? Right. If you don't go by that particular, 
yeah, if you don't go by that particular hot dog, you know, there's something behind it. You, you know, you know what I'm saying? Everything, 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 everything that um, we see or hear about in the news and everything is all fear-based. You know, you need to get this, this uh, uh, you know, virus protector on your computer because you may just get this. Or, you know, you need to buy this extra special car with all these whistles and bells for security because you may just, something may just happen to you. It's, you know, it's not. It, everything is is sold on fear or or based on fear, and so with regards to fear, I know it stops people in their tracks. And I want to ask you if you could share with the listeners, particularly, what is what is the number one thing, or not necessarily the number one thing, but what is the most common thing when it comes to fear that you see? Um, that people don't even recognize that they're acting out of fear. Is that, am I making sense with what I'm asking you? You're making perfect sense, and it gets really to the heart of the matter, Rochelle Marie. It really, and I cover this in the book, I think that at the, our core, core being, some people say that at the bottom of all of our fears is the fear of death. I understand that way of thinking. I don't necessarily subscribe to that way of thinking. I think mm-hmm. that at the bottom of our fear is our is a need to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And connected with that is a need to feel loved. Here's why they're connected. If there is a mother and a baby and the baby feels loved, yes, on a very mm-hmm. primitive level, that baby knows I'm safe. I'm important right. tomorrow. She will feed me and clothe me. Then we grow up. We want to be loved by our partner. Why do we want to be loved by our partner? So we feel safe. We feel right. safe that they will be faithful and true and take care of us and we will take care of them. Um, why do we buy uh, a certain brand of tennis shoes or a certain hair, you know, spray or whatever people use or a certain lip gloss. Why? Because we want to be liked. We want to be Mm -hmm. liked. We want to be loved. We want to be safe and tied up in there, of course. And this is where, and I'm with you on the media, we don't want to be rejected because Mm. if we were rejected, the very primitive brain, that lizard brain, if you reject me because I'm wearing the wrong dress, right? I'm wearing, you know, a style that's 20 years old and you reject me. What happens to the person? Again, primitive brain, not the mm-hmm. logical brain, not the prefrontal cortex, but the lizard brain. Lizard brain says, uh-oh, I'm not one of the sheep anymore. And if I'm not mm-hmm. part of the sheep fold, right, I'm out on mm-hmm. the periphery. And when I'm rejected and I'm out on the periphery, the wolves will eat me. Mm. And and I think that so much um, of the commercials, the media, they give us that sense that buy this and you will be liked, buy this and you will be loved, buy this and you will be one of the tribe. And when you're one of the tribe, the tribe will take care of you. And so I think that's, that's it. Wow. You know, that, that's, that's that is just uh, wow. I mean, amazing because you just you just said a whole mouthful there with regards to it seems like fear 
comes up in us when we feel threatened that we may not mm-hmm. be loved or we may not be included. And if we're feeling like we're not included, then we also don't feel like we're loved. Am right. I right? We're not included. We're not safe. Right. And we're not safe. And, and again, yeah. like you said, you know, the example of like your partner or whatever, you, you feel loved by them or your parent, you know, you know, your mom's going to take care of you. And then anybody, you know, has been around a really good mom or mom, because um, every mom's not a good mom, right? But some of those, um, most majority are. If you've been around that, then you know that I don't care if it's a human being or a bird, right? If you're messing with their babies, whew, watch out. So, exactly. you know, the babies feel protected and you grow up and you want to have that protection. But when you get out of the bubble of being with your mom, you feel vulnerable. Um, and if you're not included in that in group or whatever the case, have the right shoes, the right lipstick, whatever, then you feel like an outcast and you feel unprotected and unloved. And it, I think you're right. It probably goes back to the lizard brain where it's like so primitive that you just fall into that. Well, it's fearful. Now, do you think that, um, do you think that the majority of, I want to say, I'm just going to say adults, fear is stems from Something that happened in childhood. I'm so glad you asked that question. (laughs) I'm so glad you asked that question. So um, let me differentiate first between rational fear and irrational fear. And rational fear is, is the fear that, hey, the neighbor's dog bit me. It is a mean dog, and if I go out and approach that dog again, it will bite me. That's a rational fear. If I go out in the forest at night and the forest has bears in it, likely, you know, I'll run into a bear, rash a bear, rational fear, right? So those are, that's one category of fears, and they're very helpful and very constructive because they keep us from putting our hand in a fire when we know we'll get burned, Right. Then mm-hmm. there are the entire group of irrational fears. And these are the ones that often so and I and I look at our irrational fears and I say we're often run by our irrational fears. And those irrational fears are our destructive fears. They hold us back in life. They are not true, but we operate on based on them without thinking about it often throughout our day, right? If we can Mm -hmm. learn to listen to those fears, to turn and look at them instead of pushing them away or pretending they're not there, then we can learn that they each have a constructive message. And when we learn what that constructive message is, we can then transform our lives. And that's where transformational fear comes in. Mm. So. Now to very specifically answer your question, because you were talking about mothers and, you know, growing up and you're in this nice little bubble, that is wonderful for some children who grow up in a very loving, safe household where the parents get it right most of the time. But for many children, they do grow up in households where mom or dad or both or whoever the caregiver is consciously or unconsciously 
gives the child messages that tell them that love is contingent and that their Mm. safety is contingent. And so the child, and this is a really important part to know about our children and our own brains. When we're growing up, our little brains are just forming. We don't have, you know, a fully formed prefrontal cortex. So whatever mom and dad or caregivers tell us, we believe is true. We take it in like there's a Santa Claus and there's, you know, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and the Easter bunny because mom and dad say it so. So that's all the good stuff. Yet when mom and dad inadvertently say, you're not very smart, or, oh, you're always going to make a mess out of everything you touch, or, Mm -hmm. oh, you're no good at that, you should do this, right? We're Mm -hmm. taking all of that in, unfiltered, and we believe what mom and dad said. We believe that, and those become our introjects. Those also become our our successful little little things we hold on to to be successful in life. Oh, I'm really good at baking, or I'm really good at schoolwork, or I'm a really good soccer player. But so many times parents give us negative messages, and these are the mm. seeds fears telling us, oh, you're a bad boy. You should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, you're a sissy. Oh, you're just a girly girl. Right. You'll never amount to anything. You better go and find yourself a good husband to take care of you. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. of those things are embraced unconsciously, again, unfiltered. And that's where our fears come from. And I work with so many clients, men and women, who when we start unraveling things, they will easily remember before too long what I call nuggets, these childhood memories of dad, you know, walking in and saying, get your fat butt off the couch, you lazy good for nothing. Mm-hmm. Even though said that in a fit of rage when they were seven years old or 10 years old, they remember that. And they've based much of their life on that fear that they are a fat, lazy, good for nothing who will never amount to, to much. You know, it's so very interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Whether from a teacher or a coach or a parent's, you know, nonstop, you know, criticisms. Mm -hmm. And often criticize because they think it takes a child to the next level, but a child doesn't look at it that way. (laughs) Right. Right, you know. Wow. Yeah, go. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. She was like, go ahead on, share. Share these nuggets of gold with us because I'm sure a lot of people listening can totally rate, relate. I mean, I'm going back to my childhood and all kind of stuff is coming up. <laughs> it's just amazing that when, then when you start thinking, oh, but, and here, here's the other one, Michelle Marie, where people will say, oh, I was 10 when that happened. I was five. I'm 40 now, or I'm 30, or I'm 50, whatever. It doesn't mean anything. And I say, well, why are you remembering it then? If it's meaningless, why are you remembering it? It's meaningful because it got stuck somewhere in that person's soul, in their very heart. And then I'll say, well, tell me about your, you know, ninth birthday party or your 27th birthday party. And they'll say, I don't remember that. I say, exactly. The mind remembers that which was exquisitely painful or exquisitely wonderful. 
And that's why there are so many parts of your life you don't remember. But what you do remember, your brain is held on to it for a reason. And often we hold on to these exquisitely painful memories. And that if we go back to them and look at the memory, are you really a piece of crap because you were sitting on the couch? That's right. No, of course you're not. And so, we, and again, that's the rational brain talking. So you have mm-hmm. to go back in and work with that part of the self that got so scared and so frightened and so fearful that here's, you know, our moms and our dads are our superheroes. And when they tell us that we're good or they tell us that we're bad or they tell us that we're defective, we listen to them. And it's the same way when we grow up and we run into teachers who tell us, oh, you're amazing. We remember that. Just like we remember the coach who says, you'll never be good at baseball, right? We remember that. And then when we move into relationships, romantic relationships, that's where our partners can do us so much good, yet also so much damage because our partners know. They know all of our soft spots, just like our children know our soft spots. And when we're operating from a place of love, we honor those soft spots and we work to help them heal or at least to not hurt them. And so when we're with somebody who is abusive, whether it's a parent or a boss or a significant other, they will go after those old wounds, those old fears and those old hurts. And they will purposefully, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously, provoke those. And that's why so many relationships become very toxic because it is our intimate partners, our closest people who have the power to harm us and to heal us. And it depends on which one we want to do. And so in Joy from Fear, I really call out how to do that, how to learn who is helpful in your life and who is not helpful, how to learn to strengthen your self-esteem, different from self-confidence, and how to learn to have more power in your life so that you feel good and then you get to the place where you feel blissful. Right. Wow. You know, um, very powerful what you just shared. Very, 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 very powerful. I mean, I remember, you know, growing up and certain things, you know, happening. And it was so funny. So one of the things that, you know, my dad was, he was uh, no nonsense. I mean, he was like, you know, when dad, if he told you to do something, you didn't ask how to do it. You just got up and start doing right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, he just had this certain tone in his voice. He only said things once, and then the next time it wasn't going to be said, right? Um, you, you were going to be in trouble. But it was funny because you, you, I, me, my family, my brother, me and my brother, I guess, we, you know, you you held on to when we would hear him get upset, when we would hear the anger in his voice, it was so um troubling and so I guess traumatizing and very mm-hmm. fearful that you grow up and you just you it was funny, you, you you just knew that, right? So here I am, this grown woman out of my own, you know, doing my thing, married, whatever. And if I heard, you know, my dad raise his voice, I automatically went back to when I was a kid 
and being fearful as to, you know, what may happen, right? And so I was a kid that was always, you know, walking on the eggshells. I didn't want to make dad mad. I didn't want him to yell at me. I didn't want, I didn't want to disappoint. I didn't want to, you know, so I was always walking on eggshells. But there was a point in time when I realized I'm a grown woman. And I'm living on my own. I'm living in my own house. I don't care if he's on the phone and he gets upset. He can't. He, he lives in way in a whole other town. And he, and he can't, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? It was, it, but it, was, mm-hmm. it took a while for me to get over the fear of just him raising his voice, whether he was angry at me or someone else. It, it just took a while because I know, I knew the magnitude of his, his temper, right? Or, like, you know, someone's calling you lazy or, um, you know, you're so stupid or, you know, how can you, you know, all the the negative things that you hear. When you said that we hold on to that stuff, that's why we remember it because it was kind of traumatizing to us. Um, I can remember that stuff. But ask me what I did when I was 15 years old for my birthday. I can't tell you, you know, or, you know, or, like, I remember the elation parts when I had my kids, right, or got married or whatever. But ask me what I did five weeks after I had the baby. You know, I can't tell you. You know what I mean? So it's very interesting how we hold on to those certain aspects of our life um, that has caused, you know, fear or elation. And I'm sure you've enlightened a lot of listeners with just that, that, what you shared. Um with regards to why there's this trigger in us. Let me ask you this question. Um, Is there a way for someone to know that they're operating or have slipped into operation of being fearful um, before they – I have this complex question in my head and I'm trying to make it simplified. but basically you know what I'm saying is before you know we all get fearful like public speaking is a huge fear of every you know almost everybody even people that speak public all the time I know people that speak like all the time public but right before they go on stage to speak or whatever they get the butterflies they get the whole fearful thing come up and then they go out and they kill it right um is there a way for us to know when we've slipped in from, I don't want to say necessarily out of confidence, but into fear, is there a way for us to know when we slipped into a fear-based type of thought or fear-based reaction? Is there a way for us to know that this is happening before we actually let it happen and take take over us? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Really great question. So I think it's situational. Let me go with, If something happens quickly where you weren't able to prepare for it, right, then there is less you can do to prepare for it except to do what I call knowing your toolkit. So that knowing that breathing, slow, steady, deep inhalations and exhalations will bring your parasympathetic nervous system on board. And so that's something that if you get a quick, you know, something that startles you and scares you quickly, comes out of the blue where you're just sitting in the audience, someone says, hey, you come up and speak. Wow, right? <laughs> and deep breath in. And so that's the other part is the self-talk is noticing if I'm sitting in the audience and somebody says, hey, I recognize you, come up and speak. I haven't had a chance to prepare. So I might be able to hear the message that tells me, 
oh my God, you're on the spot. So I go, oh, okay, I'm on the spot. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Tell myself everything's going to be okay. You know how to do this. So instead of getting into a fear loop of, oh my God, I've been caught off guard, really changing my message, my self-talk very quickly, which is, I've got this. I know how to do this. Just go up and speak my truth. So that would is what I would do if I were taken by surprise, or at least what I would try to do, right? And mm-hmm. then for mm-hmm. for a situation where you know something is coming and you're used to speaking, but you always get butterflies. To me, that's a part of really starting using some of the same techniques, but really talking to your body and saying, "Wow, you're alerting me to the fact that you're anxious. I hear you. I feel you, butterflies. I know what's going on." everything's going to be okay. We're going to breathe. We're going to focus. And we are going to go out on that stage and do what we do best. And why are we going to do what we do best? Because we believe in in what we're going to say. We Mm -hmm. believe in our heart that we're speaking our truth, whatever that is, right? Whether you're Mm -hmm. the world's Mm -hmm. most wonderful author or salesperson or, you know, whatever it is. And I think when we remind ourselves and know that we, especially when it's something that we know we're good at, that just know that in your heart. Know that, trust that. And the other thing that I think is really fun is to use humor and to to be able to go out onto that stage and say, hey, my very worst fear is that my dress has a big spot on it. Anyone see (laughs) a big spot? Okay, cool. I'm off to or you go out and let's say you have acid indigestion and you're afraid you're going to burp. You go out and you tell the audience, hey, I got a really upset stomach. I'm glad to be here. But if I burp, please laugh with me. Right, right, right. Okay. And then by normalizing it and just putting it out there and saying, I'm human. Are you human too? And if you if that's your attitude, the audience, people are going to say, oh, that, that, that it's because Rochelle Marie is normal, just like us, you know, oh, my God. And they'll connect with you even more because you're human. So I think oh. if we learn that, that we are all so interconnected, and none of us want to get it wrong, but we are right. all going to get it wrong sometime or another. And to be okay right. with that and to be easy with ourselves when we get it wrong. Oh, I love yeah. it. I love it. That That's just absolutely beautiful. I mean, I thought about, oh, yeah, the spot. I have a spot on my butt. So you don't get it now. <laughs> but when, you, when I turn around and walk away, I just want to let you know it's not doo-doo. It is chocolate or whatever. You know, it's right exactly. on my butt. Exactly. Call it out there. Right, yeah. right. That's just so say, funny. Hey. My worst fear happened just before I came on stage. I, you know, I sat on a donut, you know, God darn it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure this is, you know, like I said, helping a lot of people. And I want to ask you with regards to fear, because I know there's all different kinds of fear. You know, there's some fear that makes us move in a proactive manner, which is actually good. And there's fears that hold us back and keep us from progressing. Um, With regards to fear, can you just briefly define the difference between constructive fear and destructive fear? 
Sure. Um, as you called out, and I'm really glad you did, that we talked about irrational fears and, and rational fears. And you're right, there's a certain level of fear that can motivate us. It's that fear, and this is a really common one. You're lying in bed, six in the morning, you know you got to go to work so you can get your paycheck, and fear comes in and says, hey, hey, girly, get your butt out of bed. If you don't, you're not going to get that paycheck. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. You know, fear can motivate us. That's a good thing. But so that, in, in a sense, is constructive fear, right? But when right. it comes down to those messages within the self, And let's say I'm working with a client who comes in and says, I don't want to get married. I love this man, but I was burned by so many men in my life. I've realized my wedding's two weeks away. I am terrified that this guy is going to betray me like everybody else has, right? Two weeks Mm -hmm. before the wedding. And I'm Mm -hmm. saying, I get you. I get you. You know, I understand that it's a very real fear. Now, let's slow this down and let's talk about your fiancé, who I may or may not know, right? And Mm -hmm. let's talk about who he is as a human being and if he's hurt you and if he's shown signs of fidelity or if he's shown signs to you of being a dishonest, duplicitous person. Mm -hmm. And so we have to work through the destructive fear saying all men are toxic, all men are bad, get the heck out of here, right? Throw this one right. away. And maybe this fiancé is, you know, not such a good person, in which case, yeah, it would be wise to walk away from the marriage. But let's imagine that in this case, the fiancé is a really good man. He has integrity, he's respectful, he's kind, and he's good. And these are her fears coming up to try to get her off track. And Mm -hmm. so we would work through that and help her differentiate between her realistic fears and her irrational fears. And Mm -hmm. then make a wise and conscious decision about whether or not to go forward into a relationship that may not be perfect, but right. that has every every sign of having what it needs to be a good relationship for her and a very healing relationship for her. So that's one example of how you could work with it. Another one would be, let's say, a mom who's you know has two kids and she's married or not married, and she says, "Oh, you know, I hate the job I'm in. I'm stuck in you know being a secretary, and I've always wanted to be a nurse. I've always wanted to work in the emergency room." And she says, "Yeah, but I can never get out of this space I'm in. Nobody would want me. I'm too old. You know, I'm past my prime. Well, who would want me as a nurse?" And so then, and I've actually worked with a lot of people in similar situations where you have to go through and and listen to all those messages that fear is telling her that she's not good enough, that she's too old, she's past her prime, and help her see the real truth, the constructive side of that, which is, wait a second, you're not past your prime. As long as you have a brain... And the right. desire to go back to school, there is a way to do it. And if you conquer that defeating voice and you listen to the positive side, which says, wait a second, you have a whole life ahead of you. 
The world needs good nurses. You can go back to school. You can get a scholarship if you need to. You know, there, and you can do this. And that's how you find out what's keeping somebody What are the negative, destructive voices of fear? And mm. then flipping that to see the opposite side, the hidden side, which is a side of fear that says, wait a second, I'm here to support you. Thank you for listening. Right. Let's pave wow. the way. Wow. Wow. There's so basically, yeah, I love it. I mean, basically, um, don't let the destructive fear be the reason why you don't move forward on your journey. Um you know, try to work through it or get someone like you or pick up your book, which we're going to talk more about in a few minutes. But I like that because I think a lot of people um, get fearful. You know, you I've heard people come to me and say, oh, I would love to be an entrepreneur, but, you know, right now I have this job, you know, particularly here in California. Mm-hmm. Things are not cheap, right? I have this no. job. Uh, yeah, right. I have this job, um, and my my uh, rent for my studio apartment is three thousand dollars a month. <laughs> and I'm not oh. exaggerating, you guys, but there are there are places out there like that in California. But my, you know, but I would love to do what I want to do as an entrepreneur. But I'm just I'm I'm fearful that I'm not going to you know be able to make my mortgage or you know whatever the case may be and. Um, some of that rational is good. You need to have a plan, but you're also saying don't let don't let it stop you if it's something you really want to do. As my grandmother used to say, if there's a will, there's a way, right? And so if it's something you want to really do and you have, um, you know, fear behind it that's preventing you from doing or keeping you stuck, then there's always Dr. Manley that you can reach out to. <laughs> that can can help you work through that destructive fear that's stopping you. I want to switch it a little bit because, you know, um, fear is fear, and we all have our fears. I, I have a fear of spiders. Don't ask me why, but, you know, I have a fear of spiders. But, yeah, I could go out and talk to wild animals. You know, go, go figure that. Um, but I want to move because I want to know. I like this happiness of joy, and I want to know – what is joy by what you mean joy is and how is joy related to fear? Okay. I love your question. I want to just add one tiny piece for the last thing that will be really yes. helpful for learners is destructive fear hates specificity. It doesn't <sighs> like So when, and I really focus on this, in the book and give readers tips of how to go forward so that if you're in that place where you want to get out of the bad job or you want to become the entrepreneur, that it's so important to listen to constructive fear and let it help you set goals and micro goals that are specific. And once you have those specific goals, follow them consistently consistently and with patience and with kindness and with perseverance. And that is how you get to the other side. Sometimes we just stop at the wish, you know, I wish I could, Mm -hmm. I wish I could. And that's destructive fear stopping you there. If you want to make your life different, you want to be a better parent, you want to be a better, you know, husband, a better boyfriend, a better whatever it is, then you make your goals. You make your goals, you take them seriously, and you set out to change your life. And 
I so believe in that. So back, I just had to say that. So joy. Thank you. Now we're, Thank on, to, you. Now we're yes. on to the yes. fun part. Okay. Yes. So I differentiate um, happiness and joy. And the reason I do that is because we have five basic emotions. I work with that paradigm. And they are joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, right? So mm-hmm. joy, and why are there four that sound not so fun and only one? Right, anger, so disgust, fun? sadness. Is, right. Yeah. We're back to the primitive brain. You know, mm-hmm. our ancestors needed to know if they ate a bad mushroom, Ugh. you know, they became disgusted. Mm-hmm. They needed to know how to get angry if somebody tried to take their food or their baby. They needed to know how to show sadness as a sign that something was important and, you know, please have some mercy on me. They Mm -hmm. needed to be able to show, um, gosh, I've missed one. Um, Let's see, we did discuss uh, sadness, anger, fear. Oh, they need to be able to show fear as a sign of, oh, my God, it's time to run or freeze right, or appease, and then right. joy. Why joy? Joy is what makes us, in my mind, want relationship. It's what makes us want to have children. Because if we had a child, you know, survival of the species, and we looked at the thing and said, ugh, I don't need this, it's too noisy, <laughs> right? Then we're never going to have kids, right? We've got to be able to feel some joy, same thing that you might feel, you know, after sex. You might feel joyful to be in the embrace of your sweetheart. Again, joy. So what is joy to me, um, which is different from happiness? Happiness to me is quite dependent on external things. Oh, I feel happy when I buy, you know, another pair of shoes or another a brand new car. Or I feel happy when the service at the restaurant is good. Joy is different. Joy is that internal quality that makes us always love our children. It makes us always love our sweetheart if we're in a good relationship. It's just there. It's simmering. It's waiting. It's not dependent necessarily on what someone does or does not do. It's just there. Joy is what's there when we're meditating and we feel at peace. Joy is what's walking with us when we're out in nature, just soaking in the beauty. And I think what happens is that we have joy when we're in utero and then we come into life. And I liken this. This is the metaphor I use. It's it's somewhat like we are a candle in a clear votive. And we can, you know, we feel that light and see that light. But negative life experiences bring soot. And there's mm-hmm. more and more soot, so we can't see the light anymore. And we feel depressed and we feel anxious. And so that happens to us. And some of us get really, really cloudy, dark votives, and we don't know that right. we have this inner joy anymore. And so as a result of working on ourselves and wiping off some of the toxins that we've built up over time, the harsh messages from others, the harsh messages to ourselves, the unkind, unhealthy practices that might be keeping us eating unhealthfully or not exercising, as we wipe all of that away and engage in more healthy behaviors that are kind to us, then our light gets 
stronger and we feel that joy and we wake up feeling rested and joyful. And the more that we work on being our best selves, whatever that means to each one of us, then the more our joy naturally shines. And that's why sometimes you look at somebody who might be physically beautiful, right, But or handsome, but they don't mm-hmm. radiate. They don't have a radiance. And then you can look at somebody that you might, you know, you might not find them on a magazine cover, but then again, you might because they are so radiant. So radiant. And yeah. Joy. And that's why we love children so much, because until they're socialized, until the joy is socialized out of them, they are the most radiant, beautiful little creatures. So that's joy. And I think as we wipe away our fears, there's our joy. I love it. You know, that's so cool. I love the, 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 what you said about children, the little ones, you know, they're uninhibited. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're not Mm -hmm. tainted by the world. And, um, and particularly I like the age, I want to say before, probably before they get in third grade, they're still very fresh and open and truthful and happy and, you know, happy to go to school to play with their friends and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then about the third grade on, it it completely changes. But they're always so joyful. And, you know, back in the day, I'm not sure how old you are, but back in my day when we were kids, we played outside and we could just be running around chasing nothing chasing air, but we're laughing and giggling and mm-hmm. falling. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. you know, the sad thing about today is you don't see kids playing outside like that. You know, if you see kids outside, they're usually at soccer practice or baseball practice. You know, you don't see kids playing outside like we did. I'm, You know, I'm going to say like growing up in the 70s, you know, we played outside. Kids in the 80s played outside. Even my kids, you know, played outside. And it's it's funny because my daughter said, you know, mom, she goes, it's so sad that these kids nowadays, they don't, they don't know how it feels to run up and down the street or ride your bicycle and fall off on the grass, you know, intentionally fall off the grass on the grass and laugh and, you know, just have those belly laughs and you're just laughing at nothing, you know, because they're just so filled with joy. And so I love the, the vision you gave of the kids, the little ones just playing around and they're just joyful and it's like something to hold on to. And then also when you were talking about joy, when you describe the other, I want to say non-joyful things, um, the energy of those words were very, was very heavy, was very dark. If you say sadness, it's, it's like a thunk, right? But when you say joy, it's like light and effervescent and uplifting. And you. Can, I think if you just said joy over and over and over again, if you're in a sad space, you can't be sad because the energy of the word joy is so beautiful, right? So um, I, that just, you know, came to me as you were talking about, like, wow, that's, that's so beautiful. And then I start saying joy to myself in my head while you were talking. And I'm like, it's just so light and it just feels so good. And, and so... If you guys out there are listening to this, we're having this wonderful, joyful conversation about how to get from fear <laughs> to joy. And, um, you know, Dr. Manley is just, is just a joyful presence. Even when you speak, it's just your voice is so light and so uplifting and positive and it's like the sun shining, you know. Um, and so I could see why you're very successful and why you've written this wonderful, wonderful book. Um, 
joy from fear, uh, creating the life of your dream. Dream Oh, can't talk. I'm so full of effervescent joy. (laughs) 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 Joy from fear creates the life of your dreams by making fear your friend. And you have shared with us how we can actually do that. You know, it's been such a joyful conversation. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, when you're in, I think when you're in the ebb and flow of being present and listening to the nuggets of gold that you've shared with us and you shared, um, you know, this was a therapy session, you guys, that you got for free. Um, but if you're in, you know, in the flow of listening to you, it's just like, oh, my God, the time just just flew by. And so I want to ask you one last question really quick because I want people to find out how they can get your book and get in contact with you and all that good stuff. But I I want to ask you about um, mindfulness. You know, we hear a lot about mindfulness um, and, and it's, I don't want to say it's like this new in vogue thing because it's been around for ancient, you know, forever. But mm-hmm. um, is being, first of all, by us putting ourselves in a mindful state, does it make it easier for us to move from fear to joy? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a, such a perfect question because when we are in the present, let's say um, you're going, I know you're married, but let's say you're, you know, not married yet, and you're going mm-hmm. out on a date, and you're feeling really fearful. Will he like me? Will he not like me? You're not being mindful. You're not being mm-hmm. in the present. Your mind is running on anxiety, and you're getting stressed about the future. Whereas if you're able to stay present, whether it's for a date or a job interview, and you're able to stay Right where you are and say, okay, I'm going to fix my hair. I'm going to pick a pretty dress that I feel good in. I'm going to put on some lipstick. I'm going to pick out, you know, my my coolest shoes, whatever it is. And you're just staying in that. And then the doorbell rings and the person's there. And again, staying mindful, focusing on your date's eyes and the Mm. color of his hair or her hair and just being present and saying, oh, it's so good to see you. I'm so excited, right? And as long as you continue to stay right there in the present, not in the future, anxiety takes us to the future of all the bad things that happen, right? Depression takes to the past where we worry about all the things we wish we had done differently if that's what we, you know, or what other people had done differently. So if we're able to stay mindful, we are so much more appreciative of the people we're with, like the conversation I'm having with you. I'm not doing Mm -hmm. anything else. I'm sitting and I'm focused on the sound of your voice on being present with you, feeling your energy, so to speak. And we often don't do that in our relationships. We're doing 20 other things instead of focusing on our coworker who's talking or our sweetheart who's trying to get our attention or the child who's, you know, at our feet, right? And so if we right. can slow it down and say, wait, this is all I have this moment, 
all I have is right now and I just want to savor it. And how much better life is when we do that. Going on a walk and not needing to necessarily have stuff in our ears, music or a podcast, but being able to listen to the birds, staying present with the sounds and the smells. And that is all mindfulness. And it's so easy to get out of that space. Hey, I'm guilty of it too. Sometimes, you know, eating breakfast and not really noticing what I've just eaten. <laughs> Instead of, right? Right? right and they, right. you know, mindfulness gurus tell us, hey, you're eating oatmeal, taste every bite. Taste exactly. that raisin. Taste, mm-hmm. you know, feel it. And, you know, that's sometimes hard to be in that zone all the time. But it is. You know, that it's, that's why we call it a practice, mindfulness right. practice, yoga practice, because we're always practicing. I know I am. Me so, too. And that's part of it is I just know that. I know I'm going to I know I'm going to make mistakes. And it's cool because right. that's human. Exactly. You know, it's funny because you practice mindfulness and then. You know, like with the eating thing in Ayurveda, it's like, you know, you're, every time you eat is, is supposed to be a beautiful ritual between you and the nourishment and the essence um, that's being provided to your body, right? And so you're supposed to take in your bite. You're not really supposed to talk. You're just supposed to really enjoy the food and be mindful, present of the food. And um, we are, And there's moments I do that really well. And then there's moments like, ooh, I got to hurry up and eat because I got to get to this meeting. Or, I, you know what I mean? It's just like, and then, or it's like, you know, dang, I ate that. I ate whatever it was. I, don't, I can't even remember how it tasted, you know. So it, it, it is work in progress, everyone. And even moving from um, fear to joy is always work in progress. It's like exercising or practicing to be the athlete of your dreams or whatever, you know, it's practice, practice, practice makes it perfect. And eventually you practice enough, I think, that it becomes automatic, you know, like meditation. When I first started meditating, I'd automatically fall asleep. But then it was practicing and doing it over, over, and over, and over again. I mean, it was some good sleep, but, you know, it was practicing doing over and over again where, you know, I've been doing it for so long that, of course, I don't fall asleep, but I still feel that sense of bliss when I'm doing it, but it took a lot of practice. Or, you know, just learning how to cook. You got to be mindful when you're cooking because if you're not, mm, things might not turn out good. But it's just practicing all of what, you know, Dr. Manley is saying um, to help us have a better life as we travel down our path to bliss. And unfortunately, we are at the end of our time with Dr. Manley. So I want her to share with you all how... They can pick up a wonderful copy of your book. Okay, so Amazon has it, Joy from Fear, Amazon, so you can find it there. If you're a fan of supporting your local bookstores, they can get it. If it's not already on their shelves, they can get it for you. Just call. Most bookstores can get it in a day or two. Um, Barnes & Noble Online has it, or you can go straight to my website, which will direct you to, I believe it directs you straight to Amazon. Website is drcarlamanley.com, and Manley is M-A-N-L-Y, and Carla is with a C, so it's drcarlamanley.com. Lovely. Thank you so much, Dr. Carla Manley. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I noticed you left the Dr. Carla Manley. You didn't. You didn't put the Marie in there. I'm just. Deli- I've I'm been. Just- 
because you know it's like oh my gosh you know I've 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 done it too but sometimes you just need to keep it simplified just to I I totally get it but you know it's been a pleasure and I want to say all of you out there listening you have to go pick up her book because if you're someone that is curious or you're stuck in fear or you want to learn more about how you can you know go from having um a fear basically to joy and creating the life of your dreams um, by making actually fear your friend, then it's definitely worth you spending a few minutes to go to the bookstore or pop out that computer, your iPhone, smartphone, whatever, pad, whatever you want to call it, notebook, and go to Amazon.com and get the book or Barnes and Nobles. And I do know, you guys, that if you go into Barnes and Nobles and they don't have the book, in the store, they you can go up to the front desk and tell them about it, and they can order it for you, just like she said. So there's no reason for why any of us have to continue to live in fear and not really experience the joy, because really, as you travel down your path to bliss, it's all about enjoying every moment and being mm-hmm. mindful of the wonderful experiences that come into our lives, like me having this wonderful conversation with Dr. Manley. So again, Dr. Manley, thank you so much for being a guest on Blissful Living. It was absolutely fabulous. And like I said, the energy of your voice and our topic has just been so, oh, I'm having one of those kind of moments. I don't want the rats to come out, so, uh, you know. But it, it really is very um, uplifting and very elating for me. And I know if it's doing that for me, there's um, many other people that is doing it for. So thank you so much for doing your work. Thank you for taking time to be a guest on Blissful Living and taking time out of your day to spend just a few minutes with us. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a joy. Thank you. You're you're very welcome. And to all of you listeners, I want to thank you because without you, this wouldn't be possible. So please share this show with everyone that you love and care about. And if you particularly know someone that you know is having a little trouble with fear or a little stuck or, you know, the words and wisdom of what Dr. Manley shared could help them. Please share the show with them. I also want to thank our sponsors, All Day Cable Incorporated and Blissful Living for You. Check out our sponsors. See if there's something that they have that might you might need. You never know um, how it may make your day much more happier um, by just checking out what they have to share with you. And um, this is the time that I, I I hate it because I always want to talk so much more, but there's only so much that I, you know, time that I have. But I want to, again, thank the listeners. But I also want to wish all of you, as I do in closing out, peace to your mind, wellness to your body, and tranquility to your spirit. And may you go forth and allow the fear that's within you to manifest into joy so that you can create the life of your dreams as you travel down your path to bliss. This is the Queen of Feeling Fabulous, Rochelle Marie Lawson, saying until next time, be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and have lots and lots of joy in your life. You can find out more about Rochelle on her website, Rochelle Lawson, R-O-C-H-E-L-E, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, or at healthhealingwellness.com. Or just click on her websites from the webtalkradio.net page right in front of you. And of course, you'll want to come right back here next week for another episode of Blissful Living. 
Thanks for joining us. 